Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Come and 
Today we're going to talk about the two witnesses, the two olive trees, the fearful tribulation. We're going to turn today to the book of Revelation chapter 11. You read also there the story of the sounding of the seventh angel. You read also there about the day of lightning, noises, thunderings, the day of the great earthquake, the great hail. And today we're going to ask the question, what is the meaning of all these strange things? And do these things really concern us in a personal living way? Of course, this is a part of our series on the book of Revelation. And even though you don't need to turn to the text, if you don't have a Bible, if you do have a Bible, you're going to be greatly blessed if you will. I'd like to give a very special welcome to our viewers on 3ABN. I want to send our greeting from this church, the Community Adventist Fellowship, to Danny and Linda Shelton, and invite every person who comes to California on a vacation to come visit us at 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, in California. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1 and verse 2. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, or 1260 days. You have here some very, very interesting and significant words. The Bible here talks about the holy city. The Bible talks about the temple of God. It talks about the courtyard. The Bible tells us that the holy city is trodden underfoot for 42 months. Now there are some commentators who are strict literalists who come to these verses and they say that this is referring to the literal city of Jerusalem. And this verse that refers to the temple is referring to a rebuilt temple that is going to be rebuilt by the Jewish nation. But the Antichrist is going to cast that underfoot for three and a half years or 42 months. The question is this, how should we understand these verses in the book of Revelation that talk about the holy city, God's Jerusalem, and the temple? It is absolutely vital that we understand, first and foremost, that the book of Revelation, my brother, my sister, is first and foremost a book of symbols. And were we to literalize this book, as some do, we are to make of mockery the counsel of God, and to make dark what God has already made light. The Bible also makes it very, very plain, crystal clear, that as far as God is concerned today, under the new covenant, since Calvary, that the only holy city that counts, as far as he is concerned, is the church of the living God. God's church has taken the place of the old city of Jerusalem. And I want you to turn to some mass passages on this, please. Matthew 23, verse 37 and 38 for a start. Please, if you don't mind, turn to these passages. 
Matthew 23 and verse Matthew 23 verse 37 and 38 and how Jesus here Jesus our Lord is standing looking over the city of Jerusalem and now Jesus is standing in the shadow of the cross and just before Jesus goes to Calvary Jesus cried out O Jerusalem Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones stones those who are sent to her how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing see your house is left to you desolate the teaching of the Bible is this that when the children of Israel the literal children of Israel crucified the Lord Jesus Christ the literal temple of Jerusalem was left desolate and no longer has a part to play in Bible prophecy I want you to turn back a little to Matthew 21 uh, where you come to verse 42 to 43 of Matthew 21 it's Matthew 21 where Jesus gives a message to the people of his day and to the church of his day Matthew 21 it is and verse 42 Jesus talks here to the leaders of his day the religious leaders Jesus said to them did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this was the Lord's doing it is marvelous in our eyes therefore I say to you now listen to these words the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it Jesus said to the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jewish nation he said the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you there's nothing plainer than this Jesus said that the Jewish temple was left desolate and Jesus said the temple and the kingdom of God is going to be taken from you and it's going to be given to another people it's going to be given to a people who bring forth the fruits of righteousness and the Bible tells me that the kingdom of God was taken from literal Israel and given to spiritual Israel and as far as God is concerned today the holy Jerusalem or the or the temple is all associated not with old Palestine but with the church with the church of God Amen. I want you to come please to another text now Romans 9 verses 6 to 8 that follows through on this theme it is important that we understand this dear people Romans chapter 9 and verses 6 to 8 and Paul says Romans 9 verses 6 to 8 but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they are not all Israel who are of Israel nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham but in Isaac your seed shall be called that is those who are the children of the flesh what does it say come on let's have a little feedback today the children of the flesh what about it these are not the children of God keep reading with me please but the children of the promise are counted for the seed so the Bible tells me that there has been a change since Calvary it's very plain in the Bible 
And God has got a city. God has got a city today. And his city is Zion. And Zion is the church of the living God. And so when it says that the holy city, Jerusalem, and the temple are trodden underfoot for 42 months and 1260 days, it is not talking about Jerusalem and Palestine, it is referring to the church of God that was persecuted in the dark ages and that is going to be persecuted again before Jesus returns. Listen to this. God's people, who are they? God's church. What is God's church? God's church is never, my friend, in Holy Scripture, a building. Many people don't believe this. Many people don't understand it. God's church in Scripture is never a building. It is never an office. You hear this? It is never an office. It is never an institution. God's church in Holy Scripture is composed of men and women, boys and girls, who rely only upon Christ for salvation, wherever they are found. Did you hear this? We should never be self-righteous because the church of Jesus is composed of people everywhere who are trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. That is the temple. That is the church. That is his Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he was told to measure the city. What does it mean? Interesting expression. Because I don't want you to turn to this down because we don't have time. But in the prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, the word goes forth, measure the city of Jerusalem. And the measuring there was a prelude to the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And when God says, measure Jerusalem, he is saying, measure my people and tell them I am looking after them and whatever happens to them, they are going to be restored. And so the measuring of Jerusalem is a term that is used in the Bible to indicate that God is watching over his people in spite of adversity and that they are going to be rebuilt and restored. Amen. So the Bible says, measure them. Now notice verse 2. Please come to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. This is the church. Tell them that I'm going to rebuild them. I'm going to measure them up. I'm going to rebuild them. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles. And they, the Gentiles, will tread the, the holy city underfoot for 42 months or 1,200 or 60 days. Or as we understand, according to history, the 1,260 years of papal persecution. Please listen to this. The Bible says that the true church was trodden underfoot by whom? The Gentiles. But I ask you the question, who were the people in the dark ages that trod underfoot the church of the living God? Who were those people? They were members of the Orthodox State Church. 
and they call themselves the church of God, but God called them the Gentiles. You know why? Church membership doesn't save you, brother, sister. You can be on the church roll, and as far as God is concerned, you're a Gentile outside the covenant. How do I become a child of God or a spiritual Jew? By being in Christ. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says he is a new creature, and the Bible says that the spiritual accounted for the literal. And the Bible says that if I'm a child of faith, then I'm counted as the seed of Abraham. Hear what I'm saying? But the Bible says those people who persecuted the church, they call themselves the true church. God said they're Gentiles. When I was over in the great city of Rome some years ago, I went along to the church of the Jesuits and helped uh, and took some pictures there. Some of the Jesuit fathers helped me set up my tripods to take some of the pictures, bless them. And there are two wonderful statues, at least, in the church of the Jesuits. There is a picture of a beautiful woman, and she holds the cross in her hand, one hand, but in the other hand she holds burning fire. Remember it? And beneath her feet are the Protestant reformers, and the words underneath it are, the church casts down the heresy. And so here is an image that shows the true church casting down the Gentiles. But in the plan of God, in the prophecy of God, it is reversed. The woman is a harlot, the Bible says. And she's a Gentile, and she's casting down the church of God. So sometimes in this lifetime, we get things all out of kilter. I want to tell you today, as I've said to you time after time in this church, let us not put our faith in the structures of men, but let us put our faith in Christ. Because I want to tell you, when it comes to the judgment day, God is not going to say to you, what church did, did you belong to? God is going to ask you one question, did you, and he will know the answer, did you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and did you rely upon him for salvation? Amen. So the Bible says that during the 1260 days or these 42 months, the church was persecuted by the Gentiles. And this has been fulfilled in history when the great state church out of Rome put to death a hundred million of the saints of God, Protestants and Catholics, because of their faith in Christ. That is history. And you need only go to uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica or any history book and look up uh, the Spanish Inquisition or, or just look up the Inquisition and there you read the story of, her of, of horror as heresy was persecuted in the, in the name of God. Now, there are some other things that you need to know. And I, I, I must not be remiss. The context, now listen to this, because not all commentators will tell you this. But the context of Revelation 11 is in the context of Revelation 10. And Revelation 10 
is not talking about the Dark Ages, but is talking about the last proclamation of the Gospel to the world. And if that is so, the events that are described in Revelation 11 do not only refer to things that have already happened, but they refer to things that are still going to happen. And I believe that under the proclamation of the last gospel message, a great wave of persecution is going to come against the church. And the church again is going to be cast down by the Gentiles. Now I don't have a, a weak word to tell you today. I have a strong word. I want you to come out of Revelation, come back here to Revelation 11 and verse 3. And notice these verses because while these things have been fulfilled, they're going to be filled full one day, maybe in our lifetime. Verse 3 says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, that's the same as the 42 months, clothed in sackcloth. And I want you to notice verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. I wonder what these are. Uh, these represent. I would suggest to you today that the two witnesses, the two olive trees, the holy city and the temple of God and the lampstand all symbolize the witnessing church. They witness to the truths of the Old and the New Testament. So I'm going to suggest to you today, and I hope that you'll become convinced of this as I move along, that the two witnesses are symbolic of the witnessing church as it upholds the Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the church as it goes forth on its mission to proclaim the everlasting gospel to the world, and the church that is persecuted by the Gentiles. Uh, I want you please, if you don't mind, to notice the expression, please notice this again, it's an important expression, and I'd like you to notice it please, Verse 3, and I'll give power to my two witnesses who represent the church. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in what? Clothed in sackcloth. What is sackcloth a symbol of? It is a symbol of repentance. It is a symbol of repentance. Here is a church that is prophesying or preaching clothed in sackcloth. What I'm going to tell you now may seem uh, almost negative, but it's the most positive thing you'll hear today. The power of the church to witness is found in her repentance. Let me say it again. The power of the church to witness is found in her repentance. The Bible tells me that one of the most important things that can ever happen to a church is that church has an awakening to its spiritual needs. God cannot bless a self-righteous people. The Bible tells me that the church of the living God that goes into all the world and that is persecuted and takes the last warning message to the world is a church that is clothed in sackcloth. What does it mean? Alan White said, and she was right. She said, the closer we come to Christ, the more conscious we'll become of our sins. 
Christianity is not a case where we seem to think we're getting better and better and we become elevated. But I want to tell you, my friend, the closer you come to Christ, the more conscious you'll be, not of somebody else's sins, but of your own sins. That's why Martin Luther said, this expression is completely misunderstood by perfectionists, Martin Luther said, a Christian is always a sinner, always a penitent, and always right with God. What was he talking about? Was he talking about a, a Christian being an out-and-out -out sinner, going out committing adultery, and murdering, and stealing? No. He's saying that by nature we're sinners. We all make mistakes. I make more than most. It is true that a Christian is always a sinner, and he's always a penitent. A true Christian is a person who is continually falling before God and confessing his sins. Amen. You know why God could not bless the Pharisees of old? They had no sins to confess. They're like the little lady over in Texas who said to me, I, I, I've never had to repent because I've never done anything wrong. She was an elder in the church. She drove people out of the church as fast as we could bring them in because of her self-righteousness. God can never bless self-righteous people and he can never bless a self-righteous church. The church of Jesus, when it prophesies, must be clothed in sackcloth. Now this is very opposite to the prosperity gospel. I turn on Trinity and, and I read there people who say, you know, we're so prosperous. God blesses us so much that we don't know what to do with the money. And uh, they've got rings on their fingers and bells on their toes. And Christianity has become, it seems to me, as far as many of those are concerned, and there are some great saints over there, I know that. But I'm talking about some of those folks who talk about the prosperity gospel. But the bride of the Lamb, my friend, until Jesus comes, prophesies in sackcloth because she's conscious of her sins and she's crying out to God for mercy and for deliverance. And I hope today that somehow in this church there will come a spirit of repentance so that we won't be looking at the sins of other people but we'll be looking at our own sins, please. One theologian said the power of the church's proclamation lies in her repentance. An unreformed church loses her grip upon the world and quenches the spirit. I want to ask you today, and please be honest with me on this, how do you evaluate success? How do we, as a church, evaluate success? Can you hold that, thanks. Are we only successful when we have a lot of money as a ministry and when we have a huge group of people and everybody is singing our praises? Is that success? If that is success, my friend, then Jesus was the most unsuccessful preacher the world has ever seen. Jesus had a dozen disciples. One of them was a traitor. And he went to the cross 
Success, as far as God is concerned, is not how we see it. Can I open my heart to you? On occasions, people come to me and they say, Oh, have you heard so-and-so? Uh, somebody, somebody may be offended by what you're doing, and maybe they're not going to come to church anymore, and people get nervous about those things. I want to say, my friend, our success is not in maintaining a big crowd or in maintaining a big ministry and going on lots of television stations. That's not our success. Success is doing what God tells you to do. Success is pleasing God. I can tell you honestly, I do not hunger for a great national television ministry. I don't hunger for that. I tell you what I do hunger for, and that is that I'll be God's man doing what God wants me to do, even if it's with a dozen people, because that's all Jesus had. And the true church of Jesus prophesies in sackcloth. That is why I feel nauseated when I go to some councils, and all they can talk about are, are the huge numbers that are joining the church. What does it really mean? doesn't mean a lot at all. When Constantine got into power, he brought millions of pagans into the church. The true church of Jesus prophesies in sackcloth, in humility, and in repentance. I want you please to read on with me, if you don't mind. Notice verse 4. Revelation 11 and verse 4. These are the two olive trees... And the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. I wonder what is this talking about? It's referring, my friend, to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And I think you should turn to that passage. Please come over here as we study the Bible together to Zechariah chapter 4. That's back in the Old Testament. Comes after Daniel. Zechariah chapter 4. And we're going to read, please, verses... 1 down to 7, if you don't mind. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 down to 7. Zechariah, the fourth chapter, it's after the book of Daniel. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who's wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, Now this tells you what it really means. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, what on earth is this talking about? Here you've got a picture of lampstands, you've got a picture of candles, and you've got a picture of olive trees, and you've got a picture of oil that is flowing into the lamps. Now, what does it all mean? He said to the angel, what does it mean? And the angel said, not by might, nor by power, but how? So how does the church shine in a darkened world, I ask you? How does the church shine? By the Spirit of God. Amen. What is the purpose? Now this tells you the purpose of God for the church. 
What is the purpose of God for the church? What is the purpose of God for the witnesses? What is the purpose of God for Jerusalem? To shine in the dark. It is the purpose of God that the church be composed of witnesses who are filled to the very top with the Holy Spirit. And when the church is filled to the very top of the Holy Spirit, and when it is prophesying in sackcloth with repentance towards God, and love towards men, then the church, my friend, fulfills the purpose of God. Amen. And then the church is persecuted by the enemy. Let me ask you this. Do you live a comfortable life? Is your life so comfortable that you are never persecuted? Do you belong to a church that is a cozy club? If you belong to a church that is, the, is a cozy club, then you do not belong to the church of God. You belong to the church of the Gentiles. Is this a hard saying? Yes, it is. The only church that is God's church is a church that is filled with witnesses, filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit, witnessing for God and persecuted by the beast. That is the true church. And you say to me, but Pastor Carter, but there are very few churches like that today that, that measure up to the word of God. Then so be it. Amen. Then so be it. Truth has never been on the side of the majority and the majority has never been on the side of truth. So remember it. Now please come to the next verses in this great chapter. In this great chapter. And it thrills me as I read these verses. Verses 5 and 6, Revelation 11. Verses 5 and 6. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to hurt them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven. These are the witnesses of God, witnessing through the word, so that no rain falls in the day of their prophecy. They have power over water, uh, the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. This is a reference to Moses and Elijah and what God is saying here in symbolic language that God has given power to his servants through the word of God. And even though the church may be persecuted and even though the church may be trampled underfoot within the true church of the living God there is the power of the Almighty. And nothing can harm the church except as God permits and directs. Verse 7. Now when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So much for the prosperity gospel. The Bible says, when the church finishes her testimony, the beast is aroused. This has been fulfilled and it will be filled full in the near future. At the end of the 1260 days of papal persecution, when the church had preached the word of God clothed in sackcloth, when she thought there were better days ahead for her, there came the wrath of the French Revolution. 
There came the great chaos of the French Revolution when militant atheism took over the world stage for a brief period of time over there in Europe. And there was awful persecution against the church of the living God and persecution of the Bible itself, the burning of the Bibles. But I want to tell you folks something. While it has been fulfilled, it is still to be filled full. The power of the last warning message will enrage the wrath of the Antichrist who will come against the church. Now let me tell you something that I find sad and a delusion. That often at great church councils we teach a, a, a kind of triumphalism and we talk about the triumph of the church and we talk about the statistics and we give people the impression that it's going to be glory, hallelujah, and then Jesus is going to come. That's a delusion. It's a lie. As the true church of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes forth and preaches the word of God, there will come a time of persecution and the great beast will come from the bottomless pit. The Bible describes this in Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 14 and particularly in Revelation 13. And so the church has still to endure her greatest test. The prophet said, Stephen, if in the land of peace wherein you trusted they wearied thee, how shalt thou stand in the time of trouble? If you can't run with footmen, how are you going to contend with horses? And if you can't survive in a little pool, how will you stand in the swelling of the Jordan, was the message of the prophet. I've got a strong word for you today. Not my word, it's the word of God. Great preaching always leads to great trouble. A great mission in a church always leads to great persecution. My friend, if we were going back to Russia and they were all waiting there with open arms, there'd be something wrong with the message that is preached. We should expect persecution. Not only in Russia, but here in America. And it always comes at the hands of the Gentiles. Whether they call themselves church members or otherwise. Jesus said, the day's going to come when they're going to persecute you, drive you from city to city. Can I be very frank and honest with you? We have become, as a race of Christians, as my dear old friend George Burnside said in Australia, a race of mamby-pambies. Weaklings, anemic, Sugar-coated Christians, marshmallow Christians, be true to God when it suits us. Do you believe in Jesus? Oh yes, I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus in this part of the world. Doesn't mean a thing. Talk is cheap. 
But the Bible tells us, Jesus te teaches, that the way of a Christian is indeed the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows. Alan White said, Until Christ shall appear in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, men will become perverse in spirit and turn from the truth to fables. The church will yet see troublous times. She will prophesy in sackcloth. But although she must meet heresies and persecutions, although she must battle with the infidel and the apostate, yet by the help of God she is bruising the head of Satan. The Lord will have a people as true as steel and with faith as firm as the granite rock. They are to be his witnesses to the world, his instrumentalities to do a special, a glorious work in the day of his preparation. That's why I say to you, if you're not reading your Bible every day, you're not going to stand the test. That's why I say to you today, if you don't have time every day to spend 30 minutes with God in prayer and Bible study, you're not going to stand the test, my brother. Don't cry out to God and say, God, make me strong. God will not make you strong when the strength is in here. So the Bible says, when the church, the true church of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the golden oil that comes from the olive trees, when the church is filled with the Spirit and gives the testimony, then the beast comes from the bottomless pit. So, expect it. Verse 8, And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, Jesus was crucified in, Jer in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem becomes Sodom and Egypt. The church, the professing church here, that professes to be the light of the world, becomes Sodom and Egypt and persecutes the people of God. And of course, you folks know this. And those from the peoples, tribes, tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. That happened, my friend, in the days of the French Revolution. They burnt the Bibles, they rejoiced, they said, God is done with. In the Senate in France, they said, there is no God. They abolished God. What fools. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So they abolished God. And they rejoiced. The Bible says that in the last proclamation, it's going to appear that the church is finished. Amen forever. But read on. Verse 11, now after three and a half days the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. What does this mean? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. The righteous may be knocked down but the righteous are never knocked out. Amen. They put Jesus in a tomb on Friday, and three days later he came out of the tomb. 
in the last great test, it's going to appear that the church is going to fall. Ellen White said that, but she won't fall. And don't think the church is an institution. The church is made up of the people of God. It's going to appear as though the church, the people of God, are going to be finished. And they're going to put them into graves. And they're going to say, it is finished, it is gone, amen. And they're going to be praising, maybe even praising God and blasphemy. But when the church is knocked down, she's not knocked out. And God resurrects his people here. Now you may be going through a hard time, but if you're a Christian, you've got nothing to fear. Amen. Only thing you've got to fear is that you're not going to read your Bible. Only thing you and I have got to fear is that we're going to develop a type of candy-coated Christianity, which is a great deception, which doesn't last in a storm. This Christianity we're talking about now is Christianity for a storm. Read on. In the same hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. It means confusion, confusion and anarchy. In the earthquake 7,000 men were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Because of the rejection of the gospel, anarchy comes to society. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you've taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And the next verse then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. What is the meaning of it? The meaning is this. There comes this great test to the church. It happened in the dark ages. It's going to happen again. This idea that the church is raptured before the time of trouble, is a damnable heresy. It's, it's religion for those who do not want the cross, only want the crown. Mamby-pamby religion. No blood in it. But the Bible says that the church, clothed in sackcloth, preaches the word, filled with the spirit, and this rouses the wrath of the Antichrist, and the Antichrist goes forth to slay the church, and as the Antichrist put Jesus in a tomb, so the church is put in a tomb, and the world rejoices. Don't laugh when the world rejoices, because it's not over. When your spiritual enemies are laughing at you, pray for them, because God has the last word. And so the church is thrown into a tomb and the world rejoices. But God works a miracle. The church is revived and the seventh angel sounds and the voice is heard. The kingdoms of, our, of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. The temple is open in heaven. 
The ark is seen there. The ark is always associated with judgment. And the judgments of God come upon the Gentiles, the spiritual Gentiles. And the true church is delivered and raptured after this time of trouble. Let me read you one statement, and then we'll have prayer. Listen to this. Got this out of a theologian, so it must be right. It's a good statement. Hoaxima. The text tells us that there are in the bosom of Christianity the false church, the show church, and the true church. The false church, the show church, and the true church. We all know who the false church is. What about the show church? Oh, that's the church that puts on a show. That's the church that makes a pretense. That's the church that talks religion. That's the church that says, Jesus, Jesus, praise the Lord, but breaks the law of God. That's the show church. Don't tell me it's Christianity, it's not. The bosom of Christianity, the false church, the show church, and the true church. Hence we must never expect that all Christianity is Israel in the true sense of the word. In the end, many shall fall away openly and shall identify themselves with the false church from which the Antichrist shall come. Therefore, how can I be saved? By being clothed in sackcloth. How can I tell that I'm saved? By witnessing, by being filled with the, with the Spirit of God and being part of an organization that is hated by the dragon and that is persecuted. What I like about the book of Revelation and these messages is that these messages are not kids' stuff. They're not religious twaddle and superficial stuff. This is the truth. Amen. And the truth of God calls me to a great dynamic spiritual revolution. And the Word of God says, here is the church, you want to see it? Well, it's the one that isn't clothed with all the jewelry and all the rest of it and all the money and uh, all the prosperity. It's the church there that's clothed in sackcloth. It's not the church that's saying, oh, look how righteous I am. God talks to me all the time. It's not that church. It is a church that is clothed in sackcloth and that says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It doesn't say, Lord, be merciful to to this brother, a sinner, says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It is a church that is filled with the Spirit. I warrant you that there are some of you sitting here today who've never been filled with the Spirit, and you think you're Christians because of your damnable religiosity. Because you go to a church, and it's so respectable, but you're going to burn respectably too. Our damnable respectability and pompous religiosity, which has got nothing to do with Christianity. But the true church is clothed in sackcloth and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it is persecuted and hated. Beverly and I have wondered somewhat why we've had such a hard time in the last few years. I'll tell you why. Because we've been preaching the gospel, that's why. Amen. And we've been preaching the Bible. And when you start to do it, when you start to do it, when you start to do it, the devil 
works through the Gentiles. Think it through. I don't want to be a Gentile. I want to be a member of the true church and a child of the king. So before I go to Russia, I give you this charge. My charge is a call from this sanctimonious humbug religion that's all platitudes. Oh, it makes my flesh creep, makes me feel nauseated. I get sick of it so much. Give me a Christianity that has true faith in God and that doesn't seek to find fault with others but seeks to find fault with itself. Amen. Mm -hmm. Give me a Christianity that's filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with power. Mm -hmm. Please kneel with me. Then don't leave because we've got to take the offering and I'm sorry I've gone so long. But while I'm away, take what I've said very seriously and read your Bibles. Please all kneel. Just kneel. Read your Bibles. I have a, a real feeling of failure when I know that some folks that I've baptized and I've labored for just don't read their Bibles. They can't hear a word I say. Can't hear a word I say. Or else they think that they're so strong they don't need it. But you and I need to be filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the Spirit of repentance. And we need to develop spiritual stability. Dear Father in heaven, we come to you today. We thank you for this great chapter that talks about Jerusalem, the temple, the church clothed in sackcloth. The church that is filled with the witnesses of God, filled with the holy oil, the Holy Spirit. A church that isn't filled with itself and doesn't think that religion is a means to make money. We believe, our Father, that when we are your true children, we will expect, we will know we will expect the wrath of the Antichrist. Help us to take courage today to know that when a true Christian is not, when he's knocked down, it doesn't mean he's knocked out. Jesus was knocked down on the Friday, but he arose on Sunday. And here the church that, per, that witnesses for 1260 days is thrown out, not even buried in decency. It's just left out for scorn. And the world laughs. But that church is alive and is translated. So, dear Father, today, may the Spirit of the living God who has taken us today into this book of Revelation, may he apply these words to our hearts. We make a decision consciously today to accept Jesus as our Savior, to rely upon the Word, not our own feelings, but to rely upon the Word for guidance. We thank you for loving us, and we thank you that the outcome is absolutely certain that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and we will reign with him forever. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.